And you may be seated, and if you want to find your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19 as we continue our series this summer of looking at how to make Jesus Lord of your life from the Gospel of Luke. All right, to get us started here, got a question. Who do you think is the most famous giant in all of the Bible, okay? Who do you think it is? All right, I heard some kids out there, that's right. Goliath, okay? And Goliath, when we look at the scriptures, it seems to be uh, that he was about nine feet, six inches tall, okay? I mean, we're talking massive. He also was really strong. We also see that his armor weighed 125 pounds, okay? So this guy was just formidable. I mean, no one probably has ever existed like this guy. Now, um, the Spur fans are super excited about their giant that they just recruited, right? Number one draft pick, okay, uh, you probably recognize this guy, Victor Woman Yama, okay, uh, he, the Spurs have just released, they have said his official height without shoes is seven feet, three and a half inches, okay, don't forget that half, right? Okay, this guy is a giant, I mean, looking at him like walking next to a normal person, and He's, he's going to be a force. I do want to just introduce this thought to the Spurs fans. Um, Victor is going to have to put on some weight. There are some pretty big boys underneath the basket there. He's still going to be great, but uh, uh, we'll have to see what happens. But, I mean, he's a giant. So let me ask you, who do you think is the most famous, smaller person in the Bible? Okay, I'll give you a hint for you adults. His, his name begins with the last letter in the English alphabet, and he was really good at climbing trees. Who is it? Zacchaeus, right? All right. And, and we're pretty familiar with Zacchaeus. I mean, he's very popular. There he is. Look at that, right? He's in the tree. He's got a song. It's on the top 10 uh, VBS songs of all time, right? I mean, he is a hero to little children. Uh, maybe you've got his song on your playlist, or maybe you sang it, when, this great hymn of the faith, when you came to church, or even like, maybe like you're working out and you need that little extra. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? That's everything you need right there in that song, right? Now, you're familiar with Zacchaeus, but you may not be as familiar with his life. And there is a day in the life of Zacchaeus that answers a question that everyone is asking. And that is this, how does Jesus call people to himself? How did Jesus call people to himself 2,000 years ago when Jesus was walking this earth? And now that Jesus was resurrected from the grave and he made all these appearances and he's ascended into heaven with the promise that he's coming back, how does Jesus call people to himself today? And the answer to this most important question is found in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And the first thing I want you to see as we begin looking at this text is that Jesus creates a desire to know him. So take a look, John, Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Now he entered Jericho and was passing through. So let me just kind of bring you up to speed in the gospel of Luke, what's taking place here. Jesus, his disciples, and literally thousands of Jews are making their way to Jerusalem. And so in order to avoid Samaria, they would actually make a route and it would go through Jericho. And from Jericho, it would be a 17-mile climb to get to Jerusalem. Because uh, Jericho, interesting enough, sits 800 feet below sea level, okay? And so this is a huge hike. That's why you're reading the Bible. You always see that they're going up to Jerusalem because it's up on a hill. Jericho was an extremely wealthy city. 
It was extremely plentiful with all sorts of crops. It was known as the City of Palms. Uh, royalty would establish their palaces there. And so in uh, Jericho, which happens to be one of the oldest walled cities in the world, there would be palaces, a hippodrome, uh, there would be places uh, for like swimming pools. Everything that you might think that opulence and a lot of wealth could buy you would be found in Jericho. And the Jews are making their travel, their journey to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, which would not be far from here. This would be a Passover unlike any other. And so literally Jews from all over the country would make their way to Jerusalem. So Jesus and his disciples would literally be with thousands of people. And Jesus at this point was commanding great amounts of attention. In fact, he had just, you can read about it just a few verses before this, actually given a guy by the name of Bartimaeus sight. And you remember a guy by the name of Lazarus? Well, 15 miles away from Jericho, uh, Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. So here you can see where Jericho's at. It's about five miles west of the Jordan River. Jesus and a throng of crowds are making their way, and they entered Jericho, and they were passing through. And notice this, verse 2, And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And here we are, we're introduced to Zacchaeus. Do you know what his name means? When his parents named him, they called him Zacchaeus, which means clean, innocent, pure, righteous. Wow, pretty ironic. Because this man ended up almost the exact opposite. Take a look. It says uh, he was a chief tax collector and he was rich. No problem being with rich. There are lots of good people that are rich. The issue here is chief tax collector. Now, if you are a civil servant with the IRS and you collect taxes, you need to know that you're a little bit off the hook, okay? All right? Because let me explain to you how it worked, the tax system in Rome. So in the Roman Empire, when they went to, like, Israel, they conquered the country they were going to extract taxes from the people. And what Rome would do is that they would put these positions of chief tax collector up to bid, and they would have Jews who were willing to turn on their own people, bid, and pay an exorbitant amount of money to become like a chief tax collector. And as a chief tax collector, you would develop your own team of other tax collectors who would report to you and bring all the tribute, the taxation, to you, and you would then return it over to the Roman Empire. You paid a huge fee to get to be a chief tax collector. But not a problem. Because even though Rome had set uh, all their standards for taxes on all the goods that were being commerced, you, as a tax collector, could s assign any other assessments you felt would be appropriate, and you could keep all that money to yourself and the reason that Zacchaeus was so rich is that he wasn't just a tax collector. He had a bunch of tax collectors reporting to him, and he was a chief tax collector. And as such, as a turncoat to his own people, and a one who could make lives of people miserable, he was absolutely despised by the Jewish people. He was seen as a traitor. He was not allowed to be in a synagogue. He had really very few friends, although he had a lot of money. 
He was a despised individual, and the Roman soldiers would always escort him and accompany him. And a chief tax collector could make anybody's life miserable, saying, hey, you know what? I think you are cheating Rome out of some taxes you owe them. we got some soldiers here that want to take you on a little walk into some places that you don't want to be. You could, you could uh, assign all sorts of fees and make people's lives very miserable. This is Zacchaeus. And he is rich, but he is also very interested in seeing Jesus. Look at verse 3. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. And he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. Here is Zacchaeus, and as important of a man as he is, he has a strong desire to see Jesus. Where this desire came from, we're we're not exactly sure. One thing that's interesting to note, and and everyone knew this, is that among Jesus' traveling students, the, the Talmudim, as they were said to it in Hebrew, Jesus had one of his disciples, his name was Levi. You know him more popularly as Matthew, he had been a tax collector and walked away from it all and started following Jesus when Jesus told him this, follow me. And most certainly that Levi would have an awareness of this. Perhaps uh, Matthew, uh, excuse me, uh, Zacchaeus and Matthew were, were friends. Maybe they even had private conversations where Matthew told Zacchaeus, who Jesus is, and why he was following him. We don't know exactly what takes place. We do know that Zacchaeus is very interested in seeing Jesus. But it's also likely that uh, his curiosity really started coming from the fact that, you know what? Money really can't satisfy you. Oh, I know our culture puts the fact that, boy, if you can be wealthy and you can get your finances in order and you can be secure for life, you are set. I want you to know that money, finances, wealth is an alluring idol. It's not wrong to have money, but it is wrong when wealth has you. And this man was overwhelmed. You, you probably can't imagine the kind of wealth that a guy like Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector, would have. He would be able to hang out with dignitaries, even royalty. He would have opulence and wealth and be able to have experiences that very few people would even be able to imagine. And yet, I want you to know, there was an emptiness. And certainly, in those times where he actually saw who he'd become, (laughs) my parents named me pure, clean, righteous. And look what I do. Look how I function. Look at the evil that I perpetuate on my fellow Jewish people. The guilt over your sin. I want you to know that you live life apart from God, you start going down that wrong lane, it starts twisting you. And it'll affect you. In those moments that you look into a mirror, put your head on a pillow, and you are so restless, and you have no peace and no hope and no joy, I want you to know it's just like sin is just eating you alive. Furthermore, I'm sure he hated being despised by his own people. And so notice Zacchaeus, verse 3, he's trying to see who Jesus was. And he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. I mean, can't you see it? So you got a picture. It's almost like a parade 
There are thousands of people. Everyone's got attention on Jesus. There are people that are even calling out Hosanna, son of David. Others despise. But I want you to know that Jesus certainly evoked a lot of emotion and a huge following. People are like, that is the one. That's that Jesus. You know, Lazarus, back from the dead? That's the guy, Jesus, right there. And people would be rushing to see him. And so so, uh, Zacchaeus, he, he wants to see as well. But you know, like, no one's letting him in. And can't you see it in the crowd? Here's this shorter guy, and he's trying to get in. And people are like, oh, my goodness, there's Zacchaeus. And he wants in, like, you know, like an elbow right in the nose. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, Zacchaeus, I didn't see you there. Oh, well, you're kind of small. You know, you're easy to miss. And you're like, like, oh, is that your foot? Oh, my bad, you know. And I'm sure he took some abuse. Now, Zacchaeus, he may be small, but he's also smart. And he's like, you know what? I know what to do. And so Verse 4, so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. So certainly the main road through Jericho, all these people, he knows where Jesus is going to go. He's like, okay, this isn't working. Hightail it down the road here. And he's, he's, he's functioning like almost like a, like a boy in front of a parade. I mean, and he runs and he sees a sycamore tree. Um, sycamore trees, kind of like oak trees, big trunk, wide branches, easy to climb, and he does so. But I want you to, like, let this sink in. First of all, Jewish men didn't run. It was way beyond their dignity. Here's a guy who is perhaps one of the most known people, most the highly esteemed for the wrong reasons, but he is known, and he's running, totally undignified. Furthermore, he's climbing a tree, but I, I tell you, it's like that curiosity, that desire to see Jesus is so great He's willing to do what others would say, like, no, no, I got too much pride, too much dignity to do that. That's not where Zacchaeus is at. He actually climbs up a sycamore tree, and and notice he wants to just see Jesus. And he knows that Jesus is going to pass through. Um, To help you understand what this would be like, uh, imagine a very corrupt mayor of a large city who is running in front of a parade climbs up a tree to see a religious figure. That's about the equivalent of what is going on here. Now, certainly, Zacchaeus doesn't want to be noticed, but you see, Jesus is in the process of calling Zacchaeus to himself. And how does he do that? Why, he creates a desire to know him. There's something else that you need to know, that when Jesus calls people to himself, Jesus also cultivates a faith in him. So take a look here. Okay, get ready. I'm sure Zacchaeus freaked out when this happened. Verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So Zacchaeus is in the tree. Here comes the crowd. There is Jesus. You know, people are just like gawking and trying and maybe trying to touch him. And they're making their way And all of a sudden, the parade stops because Jesus stops, and they stop right at the very tree that Zacchaeus is hiding in so he can just kind of get a look at Jesus. At this point, Zacchaeus would have froze. Sheer terror would have run through his entire system. You ever had those experiences where immediately you just start sweating? Well, that would have been his experience. He would be like, whoa, what what is going on? It's like surreal. And notice what it says. And Jesus, he looks up and he says to him, Zacchaeus, 
hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Jesus calls him by name. Not only does Jesus know where he's at, but he actually knows who he is. Now, the Jewish people would think that you'd have to be a prophet. You'd have to have a word from God to know a person's name that you had never met. And so they would be like, what? How does Jesus know that that's Zacchaeus? How does he know that Zacchaeus would be in this tree? How does he know him? He's never met him. And here, just by Jesus saying his name, there's just something sweet about a person's name. It's, it's like introducing grace to a man who was despised, maybe even came to a place where he despised himself. And notice what Jesus said. He says, for today, I must stay at your house. Jesus doesn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, what you doing up in the tree? Hey, you know what? I'd like to come to your house today. That is not at all what Jesus says. What Jesus says, he says, I must stay at your house. Literally, it could be translated, it is necessary for me to stay at your house. This is a divine appointment. This implies divine necessity. And now, let me help you understand the culture. So in Western culture, that's our culture, uh, if you were, let's say, uh, you, there's a, a guy, well-known guy, and he's got about 12 other guys kind of hanging with him. And he comes up to you and says, guess what? I'm going to your house today. And uh, we're not going to be there. We're going to spend the night. Uh, we want lodging. And we're going to be with you. And we're going to eat all your food. How would you respond? Okay? Would anybody of you like, would like that, huh? Oh, no, 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 no. That's not how it works in, in Western civilization. That's not our etiquette. That is not okay. You don't invite yourself over. You don't like, sure, we're spending the night. You're going to eat all my food. No, that's not how it works. I might invite you, but you don't invite yourself over. But in the ancient Near Eastern culture, I want you to know that it was valued to have a, a person come and stay with you, especially if they were well-known or they were some sort of dignitary, or, or they had a lot of popularity. There would be many people who had homes in Jericho that would want Jesus, if they were, the home was big enough, Jesus and all of his disciples, his traveling group, to stay with them. It would be like an absolute honor, maybe the greatest honor of their life, to be able to have Jesus and his disciples come to your home where you would feed them, take care of them, and they would stay with you. And that is what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, I must stay at your house. And notice how Zacchaeus responds. He says, he says, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. So he makes his way down that tree. Maybe he jumps out. We don't know. But then look at verse 6. And he hurried and came down and he received him gladly. Or he received him with rejoicing. One of the big themes in the Gospel of Luke is joy. Joy in knowing Jesus. In fact, the word in various forms occurs over 20 times in the Gospel of Luke. There is joy in knowing Jesus, and that is how Zacchaeus responds. Zacchaeus is thinking, whoa, he not only knows where I'm at, like hiding in a tree, he knows who I am, 
And he is telling me, he's requesting, I must stay at your house. Why, this would be, this would be far more than he could ever imagine. And certainly as a man who is extreme wealthy, he may have had one of the largest homes in Jericho. And so he does. He responds. He, he sees what Jesus is doing. He's cultivating faith. He knows his name. He calls him. He says, I must stay at your home. To give you a perspective of what this would be like, this would be like Jesus saying to like an Al Capone kind of character, you know? Someone who's, who's like in the mafia, running the tables, uh, taking everybody's money. And Jesus saying, hey, I must stay at your home. And stay they would, because from Jericho, it's a 17-mile uphill journey from Jericho to Jerusalem. So they're going to spend the night somewhere. People are anticipating, would it be possible that Jesus would stay with me? And the people in, in Jericho, they're absolutely shocked. The most notorious sinner, like their worst person, Jesus is requesting, demanding, saying, it is necessary that I stay with you. But you see what Jesus is doing? He's cultivating faith in Zacchaeus' life. And I want you to know that Jesus is doing that even today. Through Jesus' words, his works, how not only like the miracles that you can read about, but how he's even working today, how he brings transformation to human hearts. Most people know of a Christian or two where Jesus really has changed their life. He's the entire difference. And I want you to know that brings curiosity. I saw that in my own life. Like, whoa, there is something really different about you. And you say it's Jesus? Kind of interested. Like, how is that even possible? And then, of course, Jesus' way of life, just Jesus himself. Why he's inviting, welcoming. And all that is to create not only just a desire to know him, but to cultivate faith in him. Well, there's something else you need to know about Jesus and how he calls people to himself. And that is Jesus changes our life because of him. How do you think the people of Jericho are doing at this point? Well, no guessing. Look at verse 7. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, you got to be kidding me. He has gone to the guest of a man who is a sinner. Okay? They just are beside themselves. How is it possible to be a guest? Uh, could be translated to find lodging, okay? It's very much the idea that he's going to be spending the night there, and he went to our worst person, Zacchaeus. How is that even possible? And so they're all upset. And so while they're grumbling and complaining like, Jesus made the absolute wrong pick, no person that would be like a Messiah would ever pick a scoundrel like Zacchaeus. And yet... He did. And while they're grumbling and just, they're just distraught over all this, like, you got to be kidding. While there's conversations that are taking place at Zacchaeus' home, Jesus and the disciples would settle down. Maybe there are other guests. I'm sure anybody that could try to get in would, because you've got to see this. And Jesus, is, he's going to be talking and communicating. We don't know exactly what he spoke of. Well, we do know what he's been speaking of as the, in the Gospel of Luke. It's likely the exact same things showing himself to be the fulfillment of scriptures, helping people recognize their sinfulness just by being in his presence, his holiness, and listening to him and talking about how the fulfillment of the law and how he's it, how he came to fulfill the law, and how we've missed the mark would bring him to a place of understanding not only his sin, but to receive him 
as Savior, to see, like, I have got to completely change. I am so unworthy. But this Jesus is so loving and so forgiving. And then, in the midst of this meal, look at verse 8. Zacchaeus stopped. The word could be translated, stood up. In fact, Zacchaeus had never stood so tall. They would all be reclining uh, with their feet away from these small tables, and there are all this food going on, and all of a sudden, Zacchaeus, he stands up, and listen to what he said. He said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, it's really all about you, Jesus. Half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. So Zacchaeus, in the midst of all the meal and all the conversation, sitting right next to Jesus, he stands up and he makes this declaration. Behold, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. People are like, (gasps) think about your wealth. I mean, some of you know, like, your net worth. And you're probably like, I'm pretty familiar with how much money I got. Think of it. You got your number. You don't need to say it out loud. Divide it in half. What would happen in your heart if you gave it half of that? Your half gave half to the poor. What would lead someone to do something like that? I want you to know, it'd have to be something rather radical, wouldn't it? Like, like God bringing salvation, changing your heart and your life. And furthermore, he also says that, um, you know, uh, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Here's your Greek lesson for the day. You see that word if? Okay, the Greeks had different classes of conditions, and this is a called a first-class condition, and it was meant to be used like in certainty. It could be translated since. And so what Zacchaeus is saying is saying this, in every instance that I defrauded someone, I cheated them out, I want you to know I'm going to pay four times as much. It's not an if like, well, you know, I am a chief tax collector. I've been doing this for years. I got a bunch of folks working with me. There may have been a time where I took a little too much. I don't know. I can't really be sure. But if that ever happened... Uh, then I'll I'll do a four-time restitution. That's not it at all. He's calling it out, saying, I've done this. In fact, being a financial guy, there would be financial records that he would have. This isn't one of these little empty little promises, like, oh, I'll just do a four-fold restitution. No, he could look through his books, and he could start seeing everybody he had completely ripped off. And he said, I'm going to pay back four times as much I want you to know that trusting in Christ is going to change your life. You're going to see your money differently. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus is going to say, hey, take half of everything you got and give it to the poor. He might. He might lead you to do that. We don't know. But I will tell you this, that you will see your finances differently. In fact, you'll begin to see yourself as a steward of God's resources, not this is my money, these are my things, but... These are the Lord's, and I've got temporary stewardship of him. I want to of him. I want to do it, handle it in such a way that will please him. But I want you to know he'll change not just your views of finances, but how you treat people, how you see your work, how you see your life, everything about you. You see, 
This represents this change of behavior really comes from a change of heart. It's transformation that only Jesus can bring. And this is, by the way, what repentance looks like. He's addressing the Lord. And when it comes to being broken over our sin toward others, Zacchaeus isn't just like, well, you know, I feel bad about that, but no big deal. No. When you're really broken over the bad things that you've done to people, you're going to do what you can to make it right. Even, even if it's going to be short, okay, you're going to do what you can. And that's what Zacchaeus is doing. He's like, I, I know what I've done. This is outward evidence of an inward change. And we know that for certainty because look what Jesus says in verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. You see, uh, Zacchaeus, he's Jewish, right? And all the Jewish people thought, hey, you know what? We're fine with God because it's in our bloodline. We are all distantly related to Abraham, right? And so we're all fine. We're God's chosen people, right? After all. But notice what Jesus says. No, he's, guess what? Today's salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. It's not that you can trace your bloodline to Abraham. It's that you have a faith like Abraham. You take God at his word. That's what made Abraham righteous. And that's what makes Zacchaeus righteous. It's his faith in Jesus, faith in Jesus' word, who he is, what he's done, what he will do when he goes to the cross. It's that kind of faith that makes all the difference. And that's why Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. You know, this is really a story about a poor man who becomes rich. Oh, yeah. He had lots of money. He was wealthy, right? But he was absolutely devastatingly poor because of his sin. And he received the most costly gift that has ever been given to humanity. And that is salvation that only God can secure through the sending of his son. And that's why Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. And then there is this great statement in verse 10. This statement is the answer to this question. Why did Jesus come to this earth? Can you answer me that? Can you give it to me in one sentence? I can in one verse, 1910. Yet you should probably underline this one in your Bible. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That is the main theme of the Gospel of Luke. It is why Jesus came to the earth, to seek and to save to save means to deliver from danger to those who are lost, those who are ruined, those who seem beyond salvage, those whose lives are destroyed. And notice, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. It's his most popular title he referred to himself. It comes from Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, where it is a messianic title about the promised one. It speaks of one who is both fully human, but also fully God. And so Jesus, when, by presenting this, he's like, man, I'm God, but I'm man. And I'm the fulfillment of the promises. And I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. And so if you're here today and you're, you're hungry for something more, if you are in search for meaning and purpose and joy and peace, I want you to know there's going to be a compelling curiosity and a desire to come 
to him. If you lack peace, you got a conscience that's bothering you. You're overwhelmed by your guilt and you don't have joy. I want you to know today, Jesus is calling. It's really interesting. We read the story and we think like, hey, you know what? Zacchaeus, why he was seeking out Jesus. And we see that, right? Verse three, he's trying to see Jesus. But what we find out is actually Jesus is seeking out Zacchaeus. And that's how it works. If you were here today and you were trying to see Jesus, the things of this world have left you bankrupt. Yeah, you might have a lot of wealth, but it has never really satisfied your soul. The brokenness of life has brought you to a place where you need real help, real hope, meaning, peace. You need forgiveness. I want you to know, Jesus is calling. And do you know that Jesus is calling people right this very minute to trust in him, to believe in him. And do you know that God is using his people in the process to create desire, to show what it looks like to know Jesus, to walk with him, to live in his ways? And there are people all around you, the folks that you're working with, the folks you're going to go to school with this week. Guess what? Some of those people, Jesus is in the process of calling. You want to be in prayer and you want to be aware that Jesus is calling people to himself just like he did then. So he is doing now. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And does Jesus, does Jesus still call people to himself today? Absolutely, yes. In fact, he might be doing so now. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you. And God, as we have opened up your word, you have given us in the scriptures absolute clarity as to who Jesus is. This story of Zacchaeus, it's not just a a story for kids. It's one of the most important stories of the Bible. Thank you, God, for having this recorded, this experience with Jesus and Zacchaeus, because in it, we see who Jesus is and why he's come to seek and to save the lost. And if If you're here today and you've never truly trusted in Jesus, but you are curious, you see him actually cultivating faith, I want you to know that Jesus wants to change your life, to change your eternity. And he does so when you will simply trust in him. And I want to give you an opportunity to do just that as we pray. So pray with me. God, Father, I turn from myself and my sin You know I lack peace. I don't have joy. I need hope. And I'm really broken. I put on a front, but you know my heart. God, today I turn from myself and I trust in Jesus. I need your forgiveness and I need your life. Thank you for saving me. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, help us to be mindful of how you are at work in the lives of people around us. You're using us. We've got a role. In fact, you are in the process of continued changing us and filling us with a greater sense of love and awe of you as we've sung in worship. God, as we read in your word, you're shaping us to live in your joy and to represent you well in this life. And so we pray and ask that you would accomplish all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.